Hey there, and welcome to our podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Now, before we begin, we want to remind you to please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at our church. Thanks again for joining us, and now, enjoy the episode. Exodus chapter 9, if you will. Am I too loud this tonight? Did you turn it down a little bit? It's good? Like baby bear soup, right? Just right? So-and-so? All right. It's like the temperature in church. You can't get it right for everybody, right? But you get it right for most. <laughs> so, hopefully, as, as most, if most everybody can hear me, we'll be doing good. Uh, but anyway, Exodus chapter 9. Exodus chapter 9. I will uh, apologize. Um, of course, I've made it easier for Brother Matthew. I try to cut him some slack every once in a while, but there won't be really many slides tonight as far as main points and, you know, as far as note-taking goes in that sense. Um, but uh, there is a title and a text, and I pray you just grab the highlights that speak to your heart and take notes and take them home with you. Cherish God's truth tonight. Be reminded of what God speaks to your heart with in the text. Uh, Exodus chapter 9, we're going to read verses 1 through verse 7, and uh, as always, we, we want God's um, blessing, we want God's leadership tonight, we want, we want His message, we want what He would have for our hearts today, this Mother's Day, this Sunday, what we're going through in this life now, we need God's message, and so uh, let's follow along tonight, Exodus chapter 9, verse 1 through verse 7. Says, then the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh and tell him, Thus saith the Lord, God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if thou refuse to let them go, and will hold the, and will hold them still, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle, which is in the field, upon the horses, upon the asses, upon the camels. Upon the oxen, upon the sheep, there shall be a very grievous murrain. In other words, a disease. Essentially, a death disease, if you will. That's what's going to happen uh, to the livestock here. And the Lord shall sever, all right, or make a distinction, between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt. And there shall nothing die of all that is the children of Israel. And the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord shall do this thing in the land. And the Lord did that thing on the morrow, and all the cattle of Egypt died. But of the cattle of the children of Israel died not one. This is a remarkable reading here. Grab a hold of those, those words. All right, Last verse, verse 7. And Pharaoh sent... And behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites dead. And something we've been seeing all the way up to this point. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Let's pray. Father, we need your help tonight. Um, Lord, I only want to speak what you would have to be said. Uh, Lord, we're not here to be distracted by anything. This is your day. And Father, by allowing our hearts and minds to be distracted by um, 
anything in our life, Lord, it is, it is robbing you of the worship you deserve. Father, we need as people to learn how to just sit still and open our hearts to your word and your spirit. And I pray each one that's here will do that very thing. That we will calm our minds for this short, brief time that we're together. And just allow you to renew our minds and strengthen and encourage our spirits. As we continue to live the Christian life in light of the soon coming judgment that we will all face um, after this life is over. Lord, I need you tonight. I need your leadership. Help us to grasp the application of this message that we can apply it to our lives today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Now I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So the thought tonight that I, I want to bring before us is God's hand is greater. With the thought that God's hand is over or in control of all things. Even when you think you're in control. And he's really going to, I think he develops that very well here or really brings that to, to light that much more in chapter 9. Now, what we've learned up, up till now, we learned in chapter 8, we'll recap at least that much. Chapter 8, we learned that God has a desire. And when God has a desire and a will, you better be sure that will will come to pass. All right? God's sovereign will will come to pass um, no matter what. And he works in and through his people to carry out that will. And so God is using instruments. God is using uh, Moses and Aaron. All right? He's also using Pharaoh. Pharaoh is a depraved, lost, wicked sinner. And God is continually bringing these things in front of Pharaoh. Uh, these plagues, and Pharaoh is responding according to his nature, which is simply against God. So the natural occurrence is he keeps God. Uh, that's, what, that's what sinful man does on his own. He is an enemy of God, and Pharaoh continues to show that. And so Pharaoh is, is, is continually hardening his own heart in response to what God's doing. And um, God's using him for his glory as well. Now, last week... We looked at one thought, and I hope you remember what that thought was, is that there is a boundary for your worship. There is a proper place for you to worship. Not just physically, and I believe that there is physically. I believe in the local church that Christ established, amen, and it's still here today and alive and doing well. God's using His church. And this is the place on the Lord's day to come and worship. And um, you don't worship whether someone else is here or not. You worship because God, that is God's design for you to give himself glory through your life, through worship here. But it wasn't just the location. It wasn't just Canaan land God wants them to get to, to worship and serve him. God is, is continually here and will continue to show them what needs to be in the boundary of their heart. For their heart to give proper worship. Alright, remember... Not only is he proving to the Egyptians that he is the God of heaven and earth, but he's also trying to get Egypt out of his chosen people too. You know, stick around something long enough, it's going to rub off. And that's what's been happening with his people. You'll find that later on at Mount Sinai. We all know that part of the story. I haven't got there yet, but you'll know that Egypt definitely had its began to 
become a part of the children of Israel as well. And so we ended chapter 8 knowing that Pharaoh hardened his heart and he would not let the people go. Now, we want to step into chapter 9 tonight. Now, in chapter 9, there are three more plagues. And really, I really Brother Robert, I prayed and prayed and, 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 and just was, I don't know, really, really had a hard time thinking, where, God, where do you want me to, to start and end this Sunday night's message? That's always a big decision of how far to go in the text. And so we're going to go to this, this next plague, and then there's two more. We're going to see tonight that's going to come to pass is the one of, of the cattle and the livestock being diseased and dying. There's another one that will come in chapter 9, and that is the boils that will be formed by the people and Pharaoh himself. Then there's going to be hail and fire and thunder coming down upon the land. Those are all coming into chapter 9. All right. Now, up to this point, man and animals had not been had not been dealt with directly. Frogs were there, animals were there, yes, but I'm talking about affecting the, the, the health, the, the, the inner person, the, the, the physical part of the person. God has not affected that yet. Now is when he's doing it. I mean, God is continuing to increase and increase his wrath on Egypt. And now it is coming personally to the health and flesh of the animals and the people of Egypt. Alright? And so that's what we see. God, We see now what we're seeing again, and, and understand this, God is showing His jealousy. Now, we know the Bible tells us that God is a jealous God. Amen? He is a jealous God. Let's dive into verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh and tell him, Thus saith the Lord, God of the Hebrews, let my people go, that they may serve me. That they may serve me. Here is the question once again. Let my people go. This is the word of, of the Lord. God is saying, I have a chosen elected possession, and that's his people that you have. Let them go. You see, God was, was not, um, God was not crying, God was not petitioning Pharaoh for something that didn't belong to him. These people belonged to God, rightfully so. They didn't belong to anybody else, and he's coming to him saying, let my people go. So whatever God calls for, it is but his own. And here tonight, maybe God's been dealing with you about something, I don't know. If he's maybe not now, he has been, and he will deal with all of us tonight. The things that he calls for from you belongs rightfully to him. Amen? Even ourselves. The Bible says that we are bought with a price. We are not our own. The children of Israel didn't belong to themselves. They belonged to Pharaoh, but they belonged to God. And God says, let my people go. You may be here tonight. God's saying, let this thing that I've given you go for my glory. Put it here. Use it there. Take your family here. Uh, move yourself to this occupation instead of this one. Whatever God may be doing, he's saying, bring it to me. Bring it here. Use it this way. In the same sense, he said, let my people go. God has a desire for his people to be moving in the right direction. Would you all agree to that? It's a direction for you tonight. And God's always calling you to that direction. 
Why can he do that? Because he owns you through your faith in his son. And I'm thankful that I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Amen? There's freedom in slavery to Jesus. That makes no sense, but I'm telling you, it is real. There is freedom there. And God is saying, they're my people, let them go. And we can learn something from that when God did it with you. He's saying, that's not yours. We like to think it's ours, but it's not. Let it go. Give it to him. All right? God can only do what needs to be done with what you have. Only he can do it. You can try to do it well on your own and you'll mess it up. Give it to God. Amen? I look at my baby boy there and, and only God can do what he needs to do with my son when I can't. We must understand when God calls, it is a call stating I possess that. It belongs to me. I've given it to you. Give it back. Steward it well, right? And so we can learn a lot from God's petitioning. Continue, continue, continue. Pharaoh. So like I said, up to this point, we know the livestock and people hadn't been directly affected, but now it is the time. Now, I want you to see this. He said here, if you don't let them go, here is the if-then proposition once again. If you don't let them go, I'm going to bring them. This is meringue, and this isn't like lemon meringue pie. This isn't like meringue on top of a pie. But this is talking about a disease, all right, a curse on the livestock. Now, I want you to understand something. This, this attack, this plague, if you will, is, is going to hit Egypt really, really hard. Because the livestock was a way of, of, of profit. is part of their wealth. It is part of even eating. It was. It was a huge part of commerce. I mean, that, so to come and to take that from them was a big deal. Now, I want you to understand, these, the Pharaoh and Egypt made Israel poor. And God's turned the table and getting ready to take the rich and make them poor and make the poor rich. And so that's what God also is doing in bringing this plague. Now, why also would the cattle be such a big deal? You can, and I was doing some studying, Sister Casey, about cattle and about the idolatry and about the false gods of Egypt. And one person was talking about their tour, and I'm not toured either. I'd love to go and do that. But they were, there was a tour where they said, did you go see the mummified cattle? I said, no, I didn't go. You've got to see that. And from what I had read, that there are actually mummified cattle there in Egypt. Why? Because it is believed at this point that even the cattle, I don't know which, is the bulls or the cows or whatever, but the cattle in general became a god or an idol to them. That's how far it had gotten. And I think it makes a lot of sense for the hopper. Why? Because I don't think that you know, about Mount Sinai, they just started forming this idol. They just happened to start looking like a calf, and they just went with it. I don't, I don't believe that. I think it was purposely molded to what they remember that was worshipped in Egypt. And so that makes a lot of sense, Sister Charlene, that that would be the reality there. And so not only, not only was God taking away a provision, but this provision, I mean, let's be honest. Anything a saved or lost person has, God did, right? All things come from Him. So everything Egypt had, God permitted them to have it. And so this provision... Became an idol, became a god to them. Here's the scary thing 
about any of us taking time in our life and thinking that any provision should ever go from posi- change position from being seen as provision up to idol. Because it is a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous thing for a Christian to do that. And the Israelites, God did that very thing. There's an Egypt in them. You'll find they'll do that later on. But here's what happens. When you take a provision and you make that provision in the position now as the provider and not the provision, you have made yourself very, very vulnerable as a Christian. Because it's not a provision anymore, it's a provider. And so what do you do if, if you know, we, we serve the God of heaven. We claim him as the only one true God. That, that is who we claim. And so in that sense, all our security rests in him, right? All of our assurance rests in him. All of our joy, if there's any joy to be had, it comes from him. That's who we look to. Peace comes from the one that we declare as God of our soul and our life. A purpose. My purpose in life is in my God. So now listen to me. When you, when you make a provision, your God, the longevity or the extent of these things, security, joy, peace, and purpose, will only go as far as the nature of that provision that you've now made an idol. So you, you think this cow, they, their joy and peace and security can only go as far as, that, as the nature of that thing is. And it can't go very far, right? You know, things that have been made can't do for you what God can do for you. So it's just, because here's another thing. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a Pandora's box of problems for you and me. Because when that provision is gone now, you know what else is gone your assurance, your hope, your security, your joy, your peace, and your purpose. And when you take purpose away from a human being, then you have someone that is desperate. You have someone that, that is going in a, on, a, on a rocky road down to depression, and some have even taken their lives simply because they lost all sense of purpose. When a Christian thinks, I'll just dabble in some idolatry a little bit, you're dabbling in a, in a, in a terrible, you're, you're going down a trail that's going to take you to some serious disappointment. Because that idol cannot do for you what God can do. It will leave you wanting. It'll leave you wanting. Provision is never seen as provider. But here's what God's doing. Again, he is attacking the gods of Egypt and he's letting the Egyptians know and Pharaoh and his people this, that these gods are not gods. And God will love you enough tonight to do whatever it takes to strip you from an idol. Why? Because he knows even when you're lying to yourself about the truth of the idol. God loves you enough to change your life Every way he needs to, to strip that idol from you, strip your confidence in that idol. Even if that idol sometimes is flesh, God wants you to see that the only source of true joy, peace, assurance, strength, and purpose is in him. Is in him. And God is getting ready to mess with, he's getting ready to uh, take the life of these oxen. And if you go on, you, you read a little bit further here. 
says, Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle. And then upon all the other beasts there. The sheep, the horses, the donkeys, etc. The hand of the Lord. And so, you'll find in, in, verse, in verse 4, notice this. And the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt. And there shall nothing die of all that is in the children of Israel. Now, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle. Something that I have to keep in check every day of my life is to understand that my hand is not in control. It's God's hand that's in control. I'm responsible for what my hands do. Yes, God's hand is the hand of ownership and sovereignty, not me. It's not the cattle that have sovereignty in Egypt. It's, it's not the other gods that have sovereignty in Egypt. It is the God of heaven and earth. He is sovereign. He is God. The hand of the Lord is... You see, I never thought you were in control of something. Let's be honest. Sure you did. Your hand on it, right? My mighty hand is on this thing over here. And then God, in some way... Showed you real quick that your hand isn't what you thought your hand was. And you may say, well, that's just a terrible thing for God to do. No, because I'd rather him stop me here in understanding what my hand is really not doing than allow me to get 10 years down the road raising my son, teaching him what his hand really can't do for him, but tell him that it really can. You see the domino effect by taking that kind of false theology into your home, into your marriage, and etc. God wants to stop that nonsense in our life and to understand His hand is on everything. Are you with me? And so God wants the Egyptians to know this and He wants His people to know this. Now, <coughs> the Israelites could step off to the side because God said, you know, I'm going to create a division here. Not one beast, not one cow, not one sheep, not one horse of my people will die. Not one. You saw this distinction last week, right? The, all the cattle of Egypt, they're going to die. But the, the cattle of my people will not die. Will not get snicked, won't have a sniffle. I mean, that's what God did. That's the distinction that God made. So the Israelites could say, well... That's right, they deserve your hand of wrath being on their cattle. That's right, God, you just, you just show them what your hand of wrath can do. They deserve your hand of wrath on their provisions, on the provision they're creating as their gods. But let's just hold on just a moment. The same hand of wrath, again, that was on the cattle of Egypt, is the very same hand that's on what you have. And you are in control, dear believer, of whether that hand you get to enjoy as a hand of blessing, right? Or a hand of wrath. God's punishment, God's, God's discipline, airy hand, can easily come just as much into your life as it can someone else's. But that is based, again, on how your life is living in line to God's Word. God's hand can be what your life needs it to be. Amen? And I know we don't like that. 
And sometimes our culture wants to say this hand is just a hand of prosperity. That no matter what you do with your life, God's hand is always in the mode of prosperity in your life. But folks, that is a false narrative. Because dear friends, you sin like I do. Amen. A man that says he has no sin, he's a liar. The truth's not in him. We... God's hand can shift from prosperity to wrath to disciplinarian to giver to take. God's hand will be what it needs to be for your good and His glory carrying out His sovereign will. Amen? So we in our own life, by our choices, by our faithfulness, by our life, what, what will His hand be to us? This wrath came upon a disagreement with God, so his hand become a hand of wrath. So dear Christian, I just don't want you to be arrogant thinking that God's hand's only one mode for you. God's hand will be what it needs to be, and he will answer to your life what your life is and may become. Amen? So don't, don't be arrogant with your life and thinking, yeah, just the Egyptians that, that gets, that gets the, the hard hand of God. No, we can get it too. Amen? I, I remember my, I got one whipping from my grandpa. Now, I didn't want another one, Brother Ron. His hand, which in that sense I think was his belt, but I mean either way, the belt was in his hand, Brother Hopper. So, you know, his hand will be what I need his hands to be. He can hand out a blessing or he can hand out discipline. And so let us not be arrogant Christians in, in that regard. Now, let me, let, me, let me take you to one really final thought tonight. And uh, it's very remarkable. Speaking about God again, in verse 5. And the Lord appointed a, what's the next two words? Set time. Saying, tomorrow the Lord shall do this thing in the land. And I just, I just chuckled. I just chuckled in my study this afternoon. You remember what Pharaoh said? Now, and Moses said, now when do you want these frogs to be? When do you what did Pharaoh say? Tomorrow. Which I think Eric is saying, I don't think God can do what he said he could do in one day. So I, I don't know if God really thought this way or not, but it's a little humorous to me. He said, tomorrow this is going to happen. And it's going to happen in the fullest way that I said it's going to happen at the time I said it would happen. That's what God does. God does what he says he does when he says he's going to do it. In the intensity that he says that he will do it. God never not deny himself, or he would not, he would cease to be God. So we find God set a time. Can I just remind you all of something and remind myself of something? That you and I don't even know what's coming tomorrow. I mean, we 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 don't have a clue what's coming tomorrow, right? But here's the blessing about being a Christian. We know one that will bring in tomorrow if tomorrow is going to be tomorrow. Right? So we know the one that brings it. So, you know, for a Christian, I don't have to be concerned so much about the plague that may come tomorrow. Say there was going to be a plague come, you know, we went through, and still sort of going through, I guess, this pandemic, this coronavirus. I don't have to worry my life away, Brother Robert, in this thing. Why? Because God is the, God's hand is the one that allowed it to come. You may not lie that but that is reality that is God nothing can happen unless he allows it to happen and so time he said it's a set time 
You know, I'm thankful there was a time when God came and started dealing with my heart. There was a time God began to work on me. Amen? God works in time for our lives. And so we don't know tomorrow, but we know the one that will bring in tomorrow if tomorrow will actually become tomorrow. So why is time? Why would you spend so much here on time? <laughs> um, because the Bible speaks of time in ways that are really important to us. I begin to think about it a little bit. As I said, there was a time when God saved me. There was a time when God saved you. Did that time creep up on God? Did God just bend and say, oh, or just or stand behind a dartboard and say, this is when I'm going to send my grace or the purpose to save Robert, purpose to save Brother Darius or Sister Mary Jo? No. He knew exactly when he was going to do it. Why? Because he's God. You can't strip that from him. That's God. You know, there's a short time to live for God. There is a set time for your life and my life to live for God. And it's this life. I don't have to know the time of my expiration, but I do need to know there is a time of my expiration. And in that sense, it could be tomorrow, may not be tomorrow. But I know there's a time of it. So I need to be loving God through my service. There's a time when God will call us home. Can I get an amen on that? Do I know the time? No. Not even the angels know the time. Only the Father in heaven knows the time. That time. But you know what? It is a set time. And God knows it. It won't surprise God. It will be right when God said it would be. I don't know what it will be. But I know it's a time. It's a time that will come. And in that sense, I need to be living my life in relation to that time. And there is a time when we stand in judgment. It's a point of man one to die, and after this, the what? The judgment. That is a set time, a set standard as well for our judgment. And it's found in the book that's in your lap tonight. There's a set time when we stand in judgment. And there is a set time when time will be no more. And folks, I don't know what that time's going to be like. It'll be, when I speak of that time, I'm talking about an era. But time will, not control, time will not be affecting us then. But it also is a set time when we will not experience time anymore. That's called eternity. And every soul is going to have to embrace eternity. There is a said eternity. There's two places for eternity. There is heaven and there is hell. And the only way that a person can be in heaven when that set time of going to eternity is, is through faith alone in Christ alone. Amen? Just like Rahab, we know, put her faith in the Lord. And she didn't, she survived because she wasn't like those that did not believe. There's a difference in eternity for those that believe, trust, depend on Christ alone and, and then those that, that continue in not believing, not trusting, not depending on Christ but depending in an idol, in themselves, in money, whatever it may be. There is a difference in where that time will be spent for those people. And my dear friends, you know who you are of where you will spend your time in eternity. If you've trusted Christ or not, you know whether you've done that or not. All right? If you've not trusted in Christ, you know that as well. Have I trusted in a moment in my history when God came 
and dragging me to himself and, 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 and equipping my heart to repent, believe, and trust on him. Was there that moment and I trusted him or was there not? We all know. We all know. I know. I know about me. And I know when that time comes, when time will be no more and I will be with the Lord forever, I know I'm going to be with him. Amen? So we find here in this, God is the setter of time, all time, events, span of time, uh, eras, if you will. And you know what happened in verse 6? It says, and the Lord did that thing on the morrow. He said, Brother Josh, that's a great list, and, but God, what God says he's going to do, when he says he's going to do it, God does that very thing. And the Lord did that thing on the morrow, and all the cattle of Egypt died, but of the cattle of the children of Israel died not one. The Bible says, Jesus, Jesus said, those that the Father gave me, I lose none. You know, you ever been, you ever go to a party, or maybe it's, if it's a baby shower, or whatever it may be, kind of little party, and they've got this, this jar, and you've got to guess how many M&Ms are in it. Have you ever done that? And you guess. I'm always wrong. <laughs> I'm never right. I never get the door prize in that game. I don't like that game. I'm going to protest it. These days you can protest about anything, Brother Hoppers. I'm going to protest it. But you know, here's the thing about God. He's never confused about how many are His. Amen? I don't care how you shuffle them up or where you put them in the world. God knows how many are His. And I'm thankful for that. And when that time comes to call them home, he will not misplace a single one. What God can do with the plague, what God can do with cattle, mere cattle, he can, my goodness, do it with those he has redeemed. Amen? So I'm thankful tonight that the hand of my God is greater than the hand of of any tyrant, of any ruler, of any person, and my old hand especially, he's greater than my hand. And I'm thankful for that tonight. And Pharaoh hardened his heart, and he continues to do that. So tonight I want to ask you this. I want to ask Sister Arb and, and um, um, Brother Mike to come, if you would, and have a song of invitation. And I just want to ask you tonight... What is God's hand doing with your life tonight? I know He's doing something with your life. I know that He's calling you to something. I know He's dealing with you. I guarantee He's probably got a direction for you. But how are you answering the moving hand of God on your life? Can I tell you this? Um, I learned today that there are some of our teenagers that are back there signing up on the VBS sign-up sheet to work. There, uh, there's a couple teen, I think a couple of the, um, girl, teenage girls that uh, are signing up to work in children's church. And they, they know there's a time to serve. And they know that there's a God they belong to. They know that God wants to use them. And that's true. God wants to use every one of his children in and through his church. And I'm thankful to see that. Let me remind you, it's, you're saved by grace through faith alone. But your faith is never found alone. It's found working. Because that faith comes from God. Amen? And it is a working faith. 
He doesn't give, you know, he doesn't lead you to a lazy faith. He leads you to saving faith and working faith. Amen. It is a faith that works out. Amen. So tonight, I don't know where you are in the work of God. I don't know where you're at in God using your life. But God's hand, I believe, is pulling you a direction. And my advice, my most humble advice and encouragement to you is willingly yield to His hand. So as we stand to our feet, every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. There's much more could be said. But God, I'm thankful for the truths that we've just seen in these seven verses We've seen um, uh, captions, Lord, truths, Lord, of, of your person, of who you are and in relation to idolatry and what you do in relation to your people um, and, and, and time, you're in control, your hand. Father, we just, I pray that each Christian, I pray that each Christian tonight will yield their hand, their strength, their will to yours. That they will rest their assurance and their hope and their purpose, their peace and their joy. Not in an idol. Not in something that they've lifted above you. But they will bring it back center to you and you alone. If there be any form of idolatry in any one of your children, tonight's the night to repent and to be renewed in their mind. And for someone here tonight that's never put a trusting faith in Christ alone, I pray tonight... It would be that night that they would cry out with, with belief alone in Christ and confession of that. Repentance and belief. The Bible says.